Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Support for this show comes from Indeed. If you need to hire, you may need Indeed. Indeed is a matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who thinks everyone should be kicked off Twitter except me, Chrissy Teigen, and maybe George Conway. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Andrew Morantz, a staff writer of The New Yorker who has just released a very important book. It's called Anti-Social Online Extremics, Techno-Utopians, and the Hijacking of the American Conversation something I talk about a lot. In his book, he explains how the alt-right cynically took advantage of the freedom they had online, bringing extreme voices into the mainstream. Andrew, this is my jam. I'm so <laughs> excited to have you here on Recode Decode. Yeah, thanks. So let's talk a little bit about how you got to this book. I'm gonna, I want to talk a lot about what's in the book. Talk about your background a little bit so we have some sense of how you got to this. Yeah, so I, I started at The New Yorker in 2011 mm-hmm. as an editor and, and a little bit as a writer, and then mm-hmm. I shifted more into writing. And around... 2014, 2015, I was seeing, as a lot of people were, as you were, you know, media and tech and business are all kind of glomming into this one swamp of stuff, and Mm -hmm. it's changing everything about how we understand our world. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, politics was always part of that. But, like, obviously, as soon as Trump comes down that escalator, everything changes, right? Mm -hmm. Trump's only real skill is as a media manipulator. Mm -hmm. So then suddenly it was, like, this thing that I'd been paying attention to kind of on the side, like, what is the future of media? But it kind of felt like maybe a fringe kind of business story. Now it's, mm-hmm. like, the story. Right. At least I saw it like that. Right, because his uses of technology, especially technology, Twitter is particularly. Technology, yes, m- manipulation of news cycles through TV, and it's all connected, right? Mm-hmm. So what people are talking about on Twitter becomes what people are talking about on TV. That feeds the newspapers. Like, mm-hmm. it's all part of it. And also— um, you know, we'll get to Andrew Breitbart and kind of the mm-hmm. roots of the far right. But, right, you know, and Richard this, Spencer. Right, but the Andrew Breitbart um, insight that politics is downstream from culture, mm-hmm. it's all connected. So I started kind of looking into this and just trying to forget my prior assumptions and go like, well, why can't Trump win? Like, people are paying a lot of attention to him. Mm-hmm. Attention is currency. And if, and if that is true, then it's bigger even than Trump. It's not mm-hmm. just this guy might win. It's also like what we pay attention to is completely unregulated, there's no gatekeeper anymore. It's all just we're flying by the seat of our right, pants. Right. And the way I like to look at stuff in my sort of New Yorkery way is to really like sit and immerse with it and sit in people's houses and not not just, you know, read stuff and talk to them over I the read. phone. Right, right. But immerse myself. So, you know, at the time, like these companies are a little more open now, but at the time, Facebook was not gonna let me do that. Twitter was not gonna let me do that. I mean, they still mm-hmm. won't really, but mm-hmm. at the time they were totally closed door in terms of like really immersing. I mean, they might give you 45 minutes in a conference room, but so I said, okay, if I can't go to the new gatekeeper institutions, like let's go to the gate crashers. Let's go to the people who are trying to tear down these walls. Exactly what they are. Gate crashers is a great way of looking at it. That was a a working title was the Mm -hmm. gate crashers. So let's go with the barbarians at the gate as they storm the castle, right? Mm -hmm. And using these new tools. Totally. And, and, you know, again, like Trump, a lot of the people I, I spent time with in the book the Mike Cernoviches, the Richard Spencers, the Mike Enochs, the Milo Yiannopoulos, the Alex Joneses, they are not great political minds. Mm-hmm. They're not great philosophers. They're great media manipulators. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, you know, this is kind of like a little magazine nerd tidbit, but every New Yorker story has a rubric at the top, like a little, like, what topic is this going to be, whether it's a profile or whatever. Mm-hmm. When I was writing about these people, we didn't know what to call those pieces. Was it like, it wasn't politics, really. Mm-hmm. It wasn't 
So we called it annals of media mm-hmm. because that's essentially what they are. They're, they're propagandists. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And, but, but the new thing, I mean, among many new things, there have always been propagandists. There have always been liars. There have always been racists. But it wasn't viral. It wasn't infectious. And it, the tools weren't quite so good. It just wasn't so powerful. Right. All right. So you went and, and looked at the gate crashers. Let's give us a little idea of your almost like the cast of characters mm-hmm. of, you know, at the beginning of a Shakespeare play. Mm-hmm. Who are they? Who are the key ones and how did they have different... I think Andrew Breitbart was one of the most important ones totally. initially. Yeah, I call him the John the Baptist of the yeah. deplorables. He was like the first coming. He um, but Explain he, who he was. So he, was. so he died in 2012. Yeah. But he saw this coming in the sense that he has this amazing um, appearance on Fox News where he goes... He's talking about Donald Trump because mm-hmm. Donald Trump is a big celebrity. And they're like, why are you talking about Donald Trump in the, in the realm of politics? Like mm-hmm. that guy, he's not even a conservative. And Andrew Breitbart says, no, he's not a conservative, but he could be president mm-hmm. because celebrity is all that matters. Right. And politics is downstream from culture. So he and, – and, and when culture becomes a product of social media, of what we pay attention to, then it doesn't matter, you know. We have this traditional way of thinking that, like, well, the way you become president is you rack up endorsements in small-town newspapers. Sure, exactly. And you have very co- coherent policy mm-hmm. positions. And the kind of more Breitbartian way of looking at it was like, no, you you could be on The Apprentice. That's a good right. campaign ad. That's sure. fine. Right. So that's all kind of in the background. Then when it's 2015. So he starts Breitbart, he's, which was became right. sort of a, it was sort of like the Fox News of online, essentially. Yes. Well, and originally it was called big journalism and big politics, which was a joke, right? Mm-hmm. How could we be big journalism? We're the, right. we're the renegade upstarts. Mm-hmm. But then actually the joke becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And what's based. interesting, with especially with the, largely the right wing you're talking about or the more conservative, mm-hmm. the, yeah. it's not even conservative. It's far beyond kind that. Kind of insurgent. I insurgent. mean, I call them meta-media insurgents. Right, was that they didn't, they weren't allowed in the regular media. And mm-hmm. they and it was, the regular media was sort of center-left-ish. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say they're la- liberal. I think they're center-left-ish. They're institutionalists. Institutionalists. Yeah. And these people didn't have tools. And this is this is why, to me, I had Ralph Reed in an early uh, All Things D a long time ago because mm-hmm. I thought they were using online tools, emails, much better because they didn't have choices. They mm-hmm. didn't. They weren't allowed in the mainstream. They weren't given that access. And Fox News was one expression of it, but online was perfect. It was, it was a perfect way to reach people. It's same thing with the Russians. They lost the Cold War. Guess what? Online tools are great. Dictators love online. Oh, they, yeah. It's, love it, it, it's love it. very fluid. It's very free. And people like Ralph Reed mm-hmm. have a very strong and consistent set of beliefs. Right. Which is not a, a, a an encumbrance that a lot of people on the exactly. right party. So have. these tools are great for anyone who – they're cheap tools for – like it's sort of quick bomb-making quick kits. Totally, weird, totally. Right? So you started looking. So Andrew Breitbart was when he started Breitbart.com, yeah. which was originally just a website. Yeah. But that's really where a lot of it Starts well, and he also was um, at the right hand of Drudge when he started the Drudge Report, and he yeah, was Drudge at the right. Another one I was going to. And Andrew Breitbart was also at the right hand. We forget of Ariana Huffington mm-hmm. when she started the Huffington Post. That's right. So he was a savant. He was a media savant, mm-hmm. but he also was like a culture warrior in the mm-hmm. sense that, like a lot of revolutionaries, he didn't have a clear sense of what he was going for. He had a sense of what he wanted to tear down. Mm-hmm. There's this amazing footage of him from this documentary where he's sitting with Dana Loesch, who's now head of the NRA, and all these kind of early, I mean, Ben Shapiro was part of that circle. Mm-hmm. And he, they, ITV, Dana Loesch. Mm-hmm. But is she still there now? Did she get she was washed like the, out? Uh, piece? Everybody's, everybody's gone going now, on but there. She, uh, but She's all, the screamer. Right, on. right, right, among many. But they're all sitting there asking him, what's your goal? And he says, my goal is to tear down the New York Times and CNN, mm-hmm. which if you're a politician, you don't think about that as mm-hmm. your enemy. But he was very clear, like, this is the big brother we're going after. Right. So Breitbart becomes obviously Steve Bannon takes it over after, after Andrew Breitbart dies. Steve Bannon then very clearly again sees there is no boundary between politics and, and media and information. There's nowhere in the Constitution that says the press is this and the president races that. and It just was just standards that it, people had. Right. It was just norms. Unspoken norms. Yeah. Exactly. And and one of the big undercurrents of, of the book is that norms are this thing that are much more delicate than we thought and much more contingent than mm-hmm. we thought. The word that I keep using in the book is contingent because they're subject to historical forces. It's mm-hmm. not like we're on a path toward good and the shining city on the hill. It's not like we're on a path toward inevitable destruction. It's just, it's whatever happens. People do. Yeah. What's really interesting to me, you know, if you want to give uh, Bannon or, or, or Trump a compliment, which I always thought he reminds me a lot of Silicon Valley people in that, why do we do it that way? Like, and questioning even like, why do we walk across the street this way? Why do we drive down the, like, 
we could do it another way. Absolutely. Like, and that's when you start to question that and say, in fact, I'm going to walk this different way. Like, it really does. Why do we do what we do? Like, totally. for most things, no reason. Totally. Just, it's just, it's, it's path dependence. It's how mm-hmm. we've done it. I mean, one of the patron saints of my book is this philosopher, Richard Rorty, <laughs> who, um, there's a lot to say about him, but one of these things is, is in addition to the concept of contingency, he talks about ironism, and ironism or irony to him is the notion that you can reconsider at a deep level the way you do things. Everything. Yeah, you could just step back and go, is, you know, shareholder value the right thing to optimize for? Is mm-hmm. You could, like, ask these deep questions. And look, I mean, the Silicon Valley guys, you know, are good at asking contrarian questions in, in lots of ways, but mm-hmm. when it comes to really, really core beliefs, like, is the whole thing we're engaged in good or bad for the world? Never. They can't go there. They can't go there. And that's the thing. But the, so you have these people thinking that, like, why do we do it this way? And and it's a, using these tools that are very inexpensive and uh, viral and effective. Yeah. And, and, and the architecture of them works towards, you know, engagement is enragement, I think, the mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. So, so they, and they see that. And, they see, and it's a perfect way to tear things down. The engagement thing is key. Emotional engagement is the lifeblood of the viral internet. And they see that pretty much before anyone does. Right. So it's it's Bannon then who uses the just first initially just a website mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Website, he starts some podcasts, some satellite radio stuff was big. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but really anything at his disposal. I mean, the other thing he he found was there is a bunch of video game guys on, you know, these like live chats mm-hmm. who a lot of this isn't even in the book cuz it's kind of deep or history, but um I researched it for the purpose of sort of knowing it as a background thing. We think about Gamergate as sort of you know, everything is Gamergate. That's true. And one of the things that feeds into that is that Bannon and Milo were like, okay, there's this army of disaffected young people. Maybe some of them are too young to vote. But again, if politics is downstream of culture, it's not just who's going to vote. It's how do we shape the entire discourse? Mm-hmm. How do we talk about whether feminism is, you know, an accepted part of our American fabric or just this, you know, annoying thing that we can just stomp all over? So they, it wasn't, it was the website, but it was also let's, you know, recruit the energy of these disaffected right. gaming weirdos and turn them into an alt-right army. Mm-hmm. And so then, cut to me. The and, irony is they are completely getting manipulated, even though they don't think, we don't like being manipulated. I'm like, oh, you're so manipulated, <laughs> you well, dumbasses. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I... <laughs> That's my favorite part. I, I, I think of, me? yeah, all these people who their whole kind of self-identity is being contrarian and not mm-hmm. running with the herd. And it's like, what do you think that all those other people around you are, if right. not a herd? Right, right. Um, so, so th- you mentioned Milo. Explain who who has come to a less good yeah. end. Well, right a lot now. of these I don't people. Know, I want to know where he is now. Actually, ugh, I don't. I mean, a lot of these people have a rise and fall arc, and yeah. you know, it, to the extent that this book leaves you feeling hopeful, it is that a lot of these people are no longer on top of the world, and right. that's certainly true of Milo. He was a British gadfly. I hesitate to even say journalist. I mean, columnist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he was a troll. I mean, yeah. he, was, he was a troll before there really was a vibrant social right. internet. Everyone who went to college had one of these guys working for the school newspaper. Totally. I and I mean, he's Boris Johnson. He's mm-hmm. like smart enough to say things that sound smart, mm-hmm. but doesn't actually have enough of a soul to really like care about being consistent. Right. Well, he's not a good thinker. Is what it is. Yeah. He's not yeah. a deep thinker. Mm-hmm. He's a very quick thinker. He's a right. sophist. Mm-hmm. And I also, having spent a lot of time around Milo, you know, there was this thing, this is cutting forward, but he was, in 2017, he was organizing this thing at Berkeley that was going to be called Free Speech Week. Yep. Right, because these guys love to talk about free speech. Yeah, yeah. And it's a great Trojan horse for them. Yes, it's 100%. Like, oh, everybody loves free speech. Mm-hmm. So he, um, we go, I, I went there kind of knowing that it was going to fall apart, because you could tell. Right. He was making these big public announcements of like, Eric Prince is going to be there, mm-hmm. and they were all, Charles Murray is going to be there. Mm-hmm. And Charles Murray was like, no, I'm not. Right. I've never even talked to that guy. Yeah. Um, so anyway... I went there knowing it was going to fall apart to kind of write that story. And I'm sitting in this sad chain hotel with mm-hmm. him in Walnut Creek, which, mm-hmm. you know, nothing against chain hotels in Walnut Creek, but that's I've, not— I've been there. <laughs> that's not the image Milo likes to present to the world, mm-hmm. right? He likes to be— I'm at the Four Seasons. Yeah, and I have my Louis Vuitton luggage, and darling, mm-hmm. I'm so fabulous, mm-hmm. and his idol is Mariah Carey. He's mm-hmm. like this very—he thinks of himself as a pop star or like mm-hmm. a real housewife or something. So— um, we're there, and you can tell that in his mind, he is those things. Mm-hmm. He is this high-flying celebrity wearing this designer clothing, whatever. But the scene around him is just so dismal and pathetic. Mm-hmm. And it's like they're kind of like shutting down. You know, they're closing the bar at this like sad hotel bar. Mm-hmm. And so I said to him, so is this free speech thing going to happen tomorrow? It was mm-hmm. 
tomorrow was supposed to happen. Right. Everything had been canceled already. And he was like, darling, it's going to be fabulous. There's going to be a speedboat and I'm going to be there and my coat's going to be flapping in the wind and you'll be there and there'll be a drone flying and capturing footage. And I was like, Milo, you know that shit is not going to happen. Right. And in 12 hours, you will, it will not have not happened. Right. So why are we sitting here? Right. right. But like there's a certain just like living within the, right. the world you want to live within that is very Trumpian right. and very um, – Gatsby-esque. It's like, I am the American dream because I just make myself that way. Right, right. And so he, he but he, for a while, he had a lot of influence mm-hmm. like uh, on the people he was writing about well, and attacking and, and, and et cetera. But it was designed to get people all mad, whatever side, either the people you're against or the people you're trying to organize. Yeah, it's just pure trolling. So Breitbart, next. Where does it go from there? So where I picked it up was, so I was looking at how these things were all interrelated. And there was a part of me that wanted to go, you know what, these people like Milo and Bannon, like, because they're such good trolls, because it's rage bait, Mm -hmm. why don't I not take the bait? Mm -hmm. And there was definitely that element of me. And then the other element of me was like, they are influential whether I like it or not. Mm -hmm. Alex Jones has this huge listenership. I tried to do a profile of him. He agreed, and then he chickened out. I I wanted one profile subject for The New Yorker that could Mm -hmm. sum up what I called a reductio ad absurdum. Reductio ad absurdum being this concept of if we had a good system, this absurd outcome would not be coming out of it. Mm -hmm. So if the media matrix we had set up was working right, these people would not have the influence they had. So I wanted one example. The example I settled on in 2016 was this guy Mike Cernovich. Mm -hmm. Good good person to settle on? Yeah. He is a perfect encapsulation. Explain Mike Cernovich for those who do not know. So all these threads kind of come together in this guy. He's a kind of— He's a lawyer. He, he, he comes onto the scene like Milo with Gamergate. Mm-hmm. He becomes this guy who's on Twitter yelling at people who don't like Gamergate and saying, this is about free speech. This is about ethics and journalism. You know, feminism is cancer, blah, blah, blah. He's, he's a troll. He has some beliefs, but he's also an opportunist. Mm-hmm. He's like the other people we've been talking about, smart but not at all interested in consistency. He lies mm-hmm. all the time. He is deeply misogynist. He's deeply mm-hmm. whatever. He's... He claims that he's not an out-and-out white nationalist, Mm -hmm. and there becomes this clear dividing line in 2016 over, are you a pure white nationalist uh, like Richard Spencer, and in that case, you're alt-right, or are you more like Cernovich and you're Mm alt-light? They they also get divided over what they call the JQ, which is the Jewish question. Mm -hmm. Are we cool with the Jews or do we want to gas them? Mm -hmm. So these are the kind of people— that was a choice. Yeah, that's—I mean, that's the choice of our times. All right. So they—and this is also the dividing line between how they treated me, you know, coming into their spaces as a, a, you know, figure of the Jewish elite media. Mm -hmm. Some of them were totally cool with that, and some of them were like, you're my enemy. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so Cernovich is on the alt-light side of that spectrum. He's fine with me being Jewish. He's married to a Persian woman. So he's not that kind of odious, but he's many other kinds of odious. Mm -hmm. And he is also— kind of leading from behind where news cycles are going. So he's kind of the the guy behind the guy when Rush Limbaugh hears some rumor on Twitter Mm -hmm. that Hillary Clinton has Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, when you hear on Hannity that maybe Hillary's wearing a catheter or something, just Mm -hmm. these insane Mm -hmm. things. A lot of those things originate from Mike Cernovich's Twitter feed. And I wanted to trace how he some did that. Some people say. Right. right. I'm hearing, some people are saying some it's trending say. on Twitter. Right. I heard, you know, the trend. That's a Trump. Yes, some people are saying. And, tr- and, and a lot of these things. Many were, people say. He says many people <laughs> We're hearing it bigly and greatly. And <laughs> a lot of, but a lot of that stuff leaps directly into Trump's mouth. He says, hey, hashtag sick Hillary is trending. What's up with that? Or coughing Hillary or whatever. All those hashtags were literally Mike Cernovich getting on his Periscope feed, saying to his core 2,000 followers, let's get this hashtag to trend. I mean, very overtly, mm-hmm. it's not even like shadowy Russian hackers. We don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. We need to indi- – it's like he's just doing it out in the open. Right. And it's not even against the rules. Right. So I said, can I come sit with you in your house in Orange County, California, mm-hmm. and watch you do this? He was like, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. So I just went out there, sat in his house for you know a few days. I, I, I met up – over the course of the next three years, I was with him and all his sort of buddies – in D.C., in Berkeley, in, I mean, all over the place. And this is just what they do. If they want something in the news, they have broken down the elements of what they need to do to get it there. And the thing that's historically unique is that they can do it in an afternoon themselves. Right. There's no— So why does it keep working? Because I mean, the bomb throwing. At some point, you're like, oh, there's another bomb. Why does it keep 
working for Cernovich and others? Because— He got thrown off Twitter. No, Cernovich no, is still on still Twitter. still on Twitter. Who got thrown off? The a other lot one? of them. Milo, right. Gavin McKinnis, Alex Gavin Jones. McKinnis, yeah, thinking, yeah, so a lot of those guys, they're gone. And, and I mean, the sort of upshot of that is— when Twitter kicks them off, they're gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they can still they yep. can still be a person. They can still have a website, but they're not Twitter's raking it their in. biggest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the reason I, I, when I wrote a comment recently, I'm like, without Twitter, Donald Trump couldn't do what he's doing. It, it doesn't work on Facebook. It doesn't work on Reddit. It doesn't work anywhere. But Twitter. Twitter is where the journalists are. Right. Exactly. And they, you know, for all their uh, bluster about being anti elite media, they need the elite media. As soon as I call them up, mm-hmm. they talk to me. Right. And Richard Spencer, who hates the the Jews and all this stuff. He spends all day talking to Jewish reporters. Mm-hmm. This this is the greatest dig Trump ever had was when he said about Bannon when he fired him. All Bannon does all day is talk to reporters. Like that's kind of true. Mm-hmm. So and that's Bolton, why the rest of them <laughs> exactly. And that's right. why Twitter is where they live. Right. And it's not rocket science, but it is a little more sophisticated than mm-hmm. just throwing a bomb out there. They have to know how. So so we talk a lot about micro targeting, right? When you when you when you have a lot of money and you're really good at Facebook's advertising tools, you can micro-target to this audience or that audience. And that's, Brad Parscale did that in the Trump campaign. You know, we'll that, get to him. Sure. But there's all there's this other thing which I call in the book macro-targeting, which is, okay, I don't have a lot of money or data, but I know how to hit everyone at their emotional flashpoints. Mm-hmm. And that's a skill too. It's not as subtle, but it works really well. Right. And because these algorithms are built around emotional engagement, it could really be anything. It could be something really funny. It could be something. I mean, remember in 2014 when everything was cats and nostalgia mm-hmm. and the internet is too positive because right. Upworthy and BuzzFeed. It could be that or it could just be I feel disgust and rage and, and right. fear. Right. They're just good at doing that again and again and morphing the way, when the algorithms morph to keep up with where Absolutely. it's going. Yeah. All right. We're here with Andrew Morantz. He's a staff writer at The New Yorker whose new book is called Antisocial Online Extremists, Techno-Utopians, and the Hijacking of the American Conversation. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Support for this show comes from Indeed. Imagine the perfect employee. Let's call her Jackie. Jackie is professional yet relaxed, punctual, friendly, meets deadlines, and just makes your job easier overall. But the search for Jackie can be long and tedious, especially when you have so many other things on your plate. Indeed wants to help you find your next Jackie. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. They leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. So their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. That means they can better connect you with your Jackie. And listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're here with Andrew Morantz. He's a staff writer at The New Yorker. His new book is called Antisocial. So we're just talking about the, the uses of these things, of these of these platforms and getting good at them and wanting to affect the media. So you have Mike Cernovich. Who, what are the other characters yeah, that you're so, so dealing I, with? Alex Jones. Yeah. yeah. I was with uh, this guy, Jim Hoft, who mm-hmm. runs this site called Gateway Pundit. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, he was getting a million page views a day mm-hmm. during the election. And so a lot of these people, they converged at um, the first scene is this thing called the Deplorable, mm-hmm. which was their inauguration yep, party. Yeah, I remember. We got uh-huh. this guy into the White House. Yeah, get it? It's a great pun. So they're all there. And it's like this, like, you know, Reservoir Dogs scene where it's like everybody's in one room. And Jim Hoft, who I'd never heard of at the time, is like, I'm huge in the Midwest. You should know who I am. And I'm like, all right, buddy. I don't know if, you know, I... <laughs> It's just this tough dilemma where you're in a room full of trolls who want your attention. Right. And you're like, who, who, who do I reward <laughs> with my attention? Right, right. Uh, and his buddy is this guy named Lucian Wintrich, his side, his star reporter at the Gateway mm-hmm. Pundit. And Lucian Wintrich says, 
you should follow me. I'm really interested. I'm like, okay, that's what everyone in the room is saying to me. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I don't want to hang out with any of you mm-hmm. because I should also be clear. I didn't go into this world because right. I was so fascinated by how dangerous and sexy mm-hmm. and bad these people were. I, I found it all kind of pathetic. Yeah. I just thought they were more influential than people were. Absolutely. So It's like the original cable people. Exactly, right. It's like, oh, it's gross, and they have, like, reality shows, and it's like, okay, but this is going to take over the world. So Lucian Wintrich at the Gateway Pundit is like, you should pay attention to me. I was kind of brushing him off. And then he goes up on stage, and they make this announcement. Lucian Wintrich is going to be our our new uh, White House correspondent. Mm -hmm. And he had just been given press passes, uh, which the Gateway Pundit— the idea that the Gateway Pundit has White House briefing room press credentials is— completely insane. It's one of those things, it's one of those Trump era things where it's like, if all the five million other things weren't happening, this would be the most insane thing. Mm -hmm. Like, the Gateway Pundit is the garbagiest garbage. Mm -hmm. It's like, makes the New York Post look like the, you know. Pulitzer's all around. Exactly. So, although Pulitzer made papers like that too, but so he's going to be in the White House. So I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'll go with you to the White House. So then that becomes this whole DC scene of Cassandra Fairbanks, who worked for uh, Sputnik, which was a Russian-owned, Russian government-owned outlet. Mm-hmm. This guy, um, Luke Radowski, who had a, a YouTube channel called We Are Change. It's all these things that, you know, again, it's not like all bold-faced names. Lauren Southern is this other woman yep. who, were, they all worked at this thing called The Rebel. Jack Posobiec worked at The Rebel. Laura Loomer worked at The Rebel. So these are all like, they shift around, they go to different media outlets. Mm-hmm. None of them is ever going to be like, the next Fox News pundit, mm-hmm. but they all have this incredible behind-the-scenes influence where you go, I don't know where this entered the discourse from. Like, how did we start talking about anchor babies? How did we start talking about Mexicans are rapists? Like, all this insane stuff. And it's usually the answer. It is, starts to, in yeah. these places. And what is, the, what is the state of them now? Because they certainly, I think these things tend to flash themselves out mm-hmm. in terms of, of but they, you, you read in this book, you're talking about the idea of online extremists. There are some that are, that are using these tools quite effectively. Richard Spencer, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Talk about him. Well, he's still on Twitter, too. Mm-hmm. D- David Duke is still on Twitter. I mean, there are some—Twitter has clearly made— We'll get to what the tech companies <laughs> should do soon, but yes. well, that's I a, need to do that. That's low-hanging fruit, but right. they're very effective, but it's also— it's Richard not, Spencer is. Yes, yeah, I think a lot of them are. Is, explain who he is. For oh, Richard, oh, Richard Spencer is a— I call some of these people not quite Nazis Mm -hmm. because there's this kind of fine distinction where, well, I'm technically not a Nazi because I want an American form of ethno-nationalism, not Mm -hmm. a German form of ethno-nationalism. But, you know, he's a racist and Mm -hmm. anti-Semite. He's had this incredibly violent past where he beats up women and, I mean, just every bad thing. Mm -hmm. And again, like, I was not like, ooh, I'd really love to go to Alexandria and get tacos with a bad guy. Like, Mm -hmm. that was not my motivation. My motivation was, wow— it's 2017, 2018, 2019, and this guy is a player in our national discourse. Right. Because we have these notions that— Because they had been, they had before been sort of off to the side, yeah. in, in, under, in the holes, in the dark places. They've always been— And never been, been able to be articulated in quite the same way. This is not something new. It's just the, the way they, they articulate themselves has changed. Right, and, and the tools and the assumption that we're on a path, you know, there's always been from— even Lincoln, I mean, but to Kennedy, to Obama, to, you know, Bush, there's always been this assumption that we're on a path toward a more perfect union. We're marching there slowly, but progress is happening inevitably. Yes, there's a lunatic fringe, but they'll always be off to the side. And there's what Kennedy calls the great American consensus mm-hmm. will always prevail. The great American consensus. Which does exist, by the way. Most people, when you go out to much of the country, you do have much more in common if you can get there. But these louder voices tend to split people. Well, yeah. So there's there's this Obama notion that when we're playing Little League or when we're at church, we have more in common than we mm-hmm. think. I don't dispute that. What I dispute is that there's this thing called a consensus that is that is the fact and everything mm-hmm. else is the aberration. Mm-hmm. I don't really think that's true. I mean, oh, you, no. could, you could, I, yeah, yeah, you could draw an American history that's all about white supremacy and mm-hmm. all about misogyny. So these things have always coexisted. And I think the mistake we made philosophically is in thinking that one was the real thing and the other was right. the aberration. Right. And when you assume that, you take things for granted. You get well, complacent. People always say this is not... America. This is not who we are. And I'm like, uh, it kind of is. Like, well, this was, this was look the, in a mirror. Like, yeah. you may want to look at a mirror. Or the, the alternate to that, besides this is not who we are, is we can be better. I'm like, mm, can we? Because we can. these tools, these tools do 
the twitchiness of the architecture, and we'll get into why they're like that. Um, and so these people are all, like Richard Spencer and others, are using these tools beautifully, yeah. really, I would say. And they have, again, like Breitbart has this insight about politics as downstream from culture. Spencer and Cernovich and all these guys have the insight that, oh, that your, your nice little consensus that you thought was all agreed on and the end of history and that's all settled, it's not settled. Mm-hmm. We can draw on the darkest impulses of people and we can do it in just a clever enough way that they feel, well, I'm not racist. I just think this particular black athlete should shut up. Or I just think this particular Jew is a, is a rootless cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. So, Or I just don't want this particular woman to be president. So they are just good enough at disguising it and drawing people in to what uh, – a lot of the alt-right guys refer to as a, a pathway toward full radicalization. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 like any other radicalization technique. You start where people are and you draw them in. And I think one thing that the the, the really hardcore white nationalist guys and actually the the left really do agree on, and I think they're both right, is that America was set up to be a, a country for white men. Mm-hmm. And the difference is that they're trying to go live in that past mm-hmm. because they are— um, dis- it was better for them. Right. They right. They, they found it more comfortable and mm-hmm. they just want to just hide in the past and that's not possible for them anymore. So let's talk about how it then uh, jogs into techno-utopians because mm-hmm. this is – the, the tools they get are from people that probably didn't intend it to be used quite this way. Definitely not. So talk about technology's role in this. So I think it's related to this Kennedy idea that – and this Obama idea, frankly, that – you know, there's a certain safety in where we are, that we we have this broad consensus. You know, we've decided that we are going to be a nation of nations. We've decided we're going to have this multi-ethnic mm-hmm. fabric, and that's over, and now we can move forward. Right. And, that through, and then the internet. Right. But through but the guys who are building the internet, and they are guys, mm-hmm. they're not reading a lot in the humanities. They're not, like, questioning like yes. we were talking about before. They're not asking these deep yeah. philosophical questions. They're picking up through cultural osmosis, oh, free speech, good. Historical progress, inevitable. I'll just throw these tools out there and we'll be good. I'll I'll make the speech as free as possible. There will be a marketplace of ideas. Mm -hmm. Markets move things forward through competition and whatever, and it'll all be good. And whatever comes out in the wash is what comes out in the wash. Yeah, it'll all be good and change. We're going to change the world. You know, you notice they didn't say we're going to change the world for the better. Mm -hmm. That was just supposed to happen. Right. Well, I noticed that they, you know, I'm always stuck on the move fast and break things. Mm-hmm. I was like, why'd you use the word break? They never can answer that question. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with that? I'm like, oh, it's a different word than change. <laughs> it's a different word than, and change is even a problem. Like mm-hmm. change for what? What's yeah. the way you go? There's different directions. But break is a particularly unusual word to pick. It seems like they just think forward. We're right. just going to go forward and it'll be great. Yeah. But it's like, are we, is there a cliff there? Damn is the there a wall is. there? Right, yeah. Like, where are we going? And they don't have to think. No, where and, we're going is never a question. Well, and and I will say one of the few silver linings, it's not a hugely silver lining book, but I do think if Clinton had won in 2016, the conversation with the tech guys would be totally different. Mm-hmm. That forced them, I mean, that and Brexit and Bolsonaro and all these other things, they suddenly go, oh, there's a wall. <laughs> right, right. We can't just keep going forever. Mm-hmm. And they maybe not didn't do that internally. That might have been public opinion shifting and regulation and all these mm-hmm. other things that they saw coming. But we're now in a very different place where they, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is writing these notes saying, we saw the ugliness of humanity and I'm so sorry because I didn't anticipate this. And I'm right. it's kind of like, well, maybe you could have or should have, but better late no, than never, are. I guess. No. Yeah. no. Okay, I'm not going <laughs> to let them off. So, but talk about their technotopian roots because it was out of sort of a very left hippie, not left exactly. Left libertarian. I call them libertarian light. I call them libertarian light. You call the alt light. I call them libertarian light. <laughs> I think that's fair. When I try to press them on it since I actually went to college, mm. I'm like, that's not what that is. That's what, so they have the, it's a version of libertarianism that is so shallow that I can't even begin to, you yeah. know, they just don't understand what they're saying. It is very shallow. I mean, Adam Smith says in his fundamental text, we need regulation. A hundred percent. I point that out. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, right. It was like, right. they go Adam Smith. I go, you never read yeah. Adam Smith, have <laughs> right. you? Well, and this is the thing. Let's it's have like, a test. Yes. Like right now. So this is, so, you know, Michael Lewis in Liar's Poker, he has mm-hmm. this thing, big swinging dicks, right? Right, yes. In the finance world. It's yes, one of my favorites. So I call these guys big swinging brains mm-hmm. because they want to be the big brain in the room. And... Some of them are very big brain, you mm-hmm. know, but like the way they use their brains is not 
again, to go back to Rorty, it's not flexible. It's not ironic. It's not constantly turning in on itself and asking itself, am I doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. The way they use their brains is to press forward. There's a problem. I think I'll – or there's I'll, something. I'll break it. Yes, I'll, I'll break it or I'll, I'll, I'll make there's a tool. There's a better way to do I'll this. I'll disrupt it. I'll, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, you don't always have to build a new tool. That's not always going to help. Right. And so what gets the utopian part when you're saying techno-utopians? So I think that's that's this notion that wherever we go forward, we'll end up in a utopia. Mm -hmm. We are going to end up with markets creating wealth, free markets creating uh, marketplaces of ideas, creating a consensus that will move toward the truth. And frankly, when you ask them what their utopia, I mean, as you just said, when you ask them what their utopia looked like, they didn't have a clear answer. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, we'll have flying cars by this date and we'll have, you know, universal health care by this date. It wasn't planned out. It was just, it'll be better mm-hmm. because it's in the future and the future is better. So that's what I mean by techno-utopianism. It's the techno part is we're going to be the ones to build it and get rich off of it. And the utopian part is we're moving you into the future. It's inevitable anyway. We're just speeding it up. And whatever it is exactly, it'll be better than what we have now. Right. And, and in a way, I don't know that they've really let go of that because I think they go— no well, we've hit a few bumps along the road. Yeah, there's a few people in office who are kind of autocratic and maybe we'll have a nuclear war here or there, but in the long run, it'll be good. And it's like, where are you getting that guarantee from? Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist. They continue to have that. There's just no change in that. Looking up from their computer desks is not available to them as a skill. And self-reflection is utterly not available to them as a school. I think there is... One and victimization is their new thing. Oh, interesting. It's constant. Like, oh, you're so mean to me. Right. The press is so mad at us. The press. I just had a, a debate with someone online. They're like, oh, and it was all about the press. I'm like, I feel like we're really not even the point. We're like, not the problem. Well, the right. other thing is— And it's so hard. It's so hard for us. It's so hard. The thing is, like, they got a you free— You don't understand the level because <laughs> you're not a computer. And I'm like, I have a sense of— they, um, they got a free 10 years. Yeah. They got a pass. No other industry—I mean— A hundred percent. No other industry that was birthed the way they were birthed with no regulation, with capital everywhere, with—they could do whatever they wanted. And nobody criticized them. And then suddenly people start criticizing them and they go, oh, we're, you know— Look, I think now the bloom is off the rose a little bit mm-hmm. and now you have— Andreessen Horowitz just funding Palmer Lucky building a wall. Like, yep. they no, they can no longer claim to be hippies. Right. So, okay. Well, Mark Andreessen wouldn't claim that. But. Sure. But there was this weird misconception in, in the press. I mean, if you want to talk about the way the press mm-hmm. acts toward them, there was a long period where it was like, these these are different kinds of businesses. They think different. They decide, you know, they, they're not just motivated by profit. And like— Well, I, not me, but go sure, ahead. Yes, of but you're right. Fanboys. The yeah. fanboys. Oh, isn't that amazing? Right. Like, and in a way, I think the, the heart of that that I think is salvageable is that I don't think they're just motivated by profit. I think mm-hmm. they do think that's why— Money's hardly the point. Right. Well, that's why I call them big swinging brains mm-hmm. because I think they— do think of themselves as luminaries. Mm-hmm. And I think they do want to have legacies and they want to be philanthropists mm-hmm. and they want to... So, like, I think there is something there to appeal to. Well, I'll get into that. I mean, that's a whole different thing. Their, their approach to philanthropy is, like, let us tell you what the problems of the world are. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't think you did... The, like, why don't you fix the things you're supposed to be capable of fixing? Exactly. Why don't you stay out of education? Why don't you stay out... I mean, that's Anand Girgardos. It's like, let's yeah. just tax you and let the... Well, let why don't the, you fix the things you broke, to right, use exactly. your word, yeah, break exactly, things. right. So you have the, this hitting with the online extremists and giving them tools that are perfect for them. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I think you're right that they did not intend, I don't think there's some, you know, Jack Dorsey was twirling his non-existent mustache and saying, I will arm the Nazis with the perfect tool. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that. So when you have these two conflating, they tend to be on the side of that, of letting people continue to use the tools unimpeded. Right. Because I think, again, they that through cultural osmosis, they have intuited free speech good. Mm-hmm. So when there's a conflict, especially in the beginning, when and there's so, a conflict, we so leave it So one up. of the arguments they make is this public square thing, which they are not public squares. They're private squares mm-hmm. owned by billionaires. Mm-hmm. What then happens, because these online extremists then do have an ability to tug on the feeling of free speech, to tug on the idea that we shouldn't regulate this, and mm-hmm. that if you stop them, it's you're a, you're your fascist yourself. Exactly. And that is a very strong branding. And look, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it has to be said, free speech is a good value to hold. Mm-hmm. Censorship is bad. Like, all those things. I mean, to the extent that Facebook and Twitter are so big that they are effectively, you know— The public space. Yeah, the public. I mean, they could be privately owned, but they're these big spaces where Mm -hmm. people go. I mean, I think there obviously is validity to the claim that you can't just take down anything that rubs you the wrong way. Mm -hmm. But this notion that if a private company has rules and I violate those rules, 
and I am kicked off, then I am a victim of mm-hmm. 1984. Right. It's ridiculous. But it's still taking hold. It's still oh, that's yeah. still being debated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where are, are the online extremists now? Like, you know, we don't even have to get into the Russians. A lot yeah. of this is out into the open. And the Russians have used these tools beautifully, too, because mm-hmm. they, you know, they didn't win the Cold War. This is their version of winning the Cold War. Mm-hmm. And um, this is part of when I was doing that initial exploration. I was like, there are great journalists exploring the Russia thing, and, and I'm very interested in what they turn up. But we could look at the stuff that's happening in front of our eyes mm-hmm. and get a lot more information mm-hmm. of what Americans are doing to Americans by Americans. So where are we now? And then I'm going to finish talking about our next yeah. section about Trump and yeah. how he uses it beautifully. So there's this concept of the Overton window. I think that these people— Explain the Overton window. The Overton window, there. it starts in public policy. It's this notion that what was once unthinkable can become totally matter-of-fact. Marriage equality was once, you couldn't even bring it up. Now it's like, of course. And, they, and so people say the Overton window has moved. The Overton window has moved. That's the window of public opinion that's potentially possible. But again, to use that example, people always talk about the good things. Mm-hmm. But the Overton window could also move toward fascism, just to take a random example. Yeah. So the goal of Breitbart and all of his foot soldiers who came after, the Cernoviches, the whoever, is to move the Overton window in their direction or mm-hmm. to just break it all together. Right. And so the, the kind of conclusion, it's not like an argument-driven book, but the kind of, spoiler alert, the narrative conclusion is they didn't break the, they didn't stretch the Overton window to the point where they themselves could fit inside it. They were kind of the kamikaze, Mm -hmm. they were the the front lines of the people who sacrificed themselves in order to break the Overton window. So their larger goal of breaking our informational architecture was successful. We now live in a broken informational world. Twitchy, reactive. Just, yeah, totally addictive broken, nobody knows what's true. I mean, on every level. It's, mm-hmm. This is where I, I agree with, you know, the, the Tristan Harris kind of argument that this is a civilizational crisis. And they were the vanguard of doing that. Mm-hmm. But they weren't able to both do that and also allow themselves to be at the center of the right. discourse. Right. So they kind of, they, a lot of them faded away or they will had fade to die away. In order. Exactly. Right. Okay. And they, but so they couldn't be, they couldn't get to the promised land. Why but they, not? Because they're so, so gross. Mm-hmm. I mean, they— They broke rules. They, yeah. There was a rules that they could not break. And it's also—it's rules, but it's also just they make people feel gross. Like, they—in order to get enough of that initial attention to create that much disgust and, and whoa, what is that? I need to look at that. It was—like, people don't want to be around that. It's mm-hmm. like you, you could never put Mike Cernovich or Steve Bannon— on TV, you know, people don't want to watch that all day. I mean, I, I'm talking about it at a very base level because I think a lot of the way that— It's like the, it's like the play network, the, the, the book yeah. network. It's, it Ultimately, it's yeah. like, stop yelling. Totally. You can get—so, yeah, that guy can break through, but he's not going to be the guy forever. Right. All right, we're going to get to where—who's going to be the guy forever, but who remains of this? So, at some point, you have a sort of a burning bright, and then it mm-hmm. doesn't burn. Mm-hmm. It, it burns out, mm-hmm. I guess. Is that where we are? Because it just seems like there's more and more— People, and we'll get to Trump in the next section because he's the ultimate end to this, mm-hmm. sort of, which doesn't really matter if they survive or not because totally. we have Trump there. So they got him into office. Right. They have Tucker. Mm-hmm. They love Tucker. Mm-hmm. They have— Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson. My so, best friend. Right. So, you know, just to use that as an example, the alt-right, the hardcore alt-right, the, the white nationalist, they think that Tucker is— doing more to advance the cause of white nationalism than anyone else in the country. All right. We're going to get to that when we get back with Andrew Morantz. Oh, dear. I'm going to be on another episode of that dumb show. Anyway, he's a staff writer at The New Yorker whose new book is called Anti-Social Online Extremist Techno-Utopians and the Hijacking of the American Conversation. We'll be back after this. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are an APY. APY can change at any time. Drowning in status updates and lost in endless emails? Break free with ClickUp.com, the one app to replace them all. Imagine a world where your team collaborates effortlessly in one shared space. No more chaos, just ClickUp. Your projects, tasks, and communication unified at last. Transform how you work with customizable views, seamless integration, and real-time updates. ClickUp is your shortcut to more productive days and happier teams. Join the millions of productive teams already streamlining their workflow. Visit ClickUp.com to get started. 
We're here with Andrew Morantz. His new book is called Antisocial Online Extremist Techno Utopians and the Hijacking of the American Conversation. We're now at the hijacking part of the situation. Mm-hmm. It's been hijacked, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were talking about Tucker Carlson through his show on Fox News. Um, probably Sean Hannity is in that group. Um, who else is in that? Who else? It, it, it's moved mainstream is what you're mm-hmm. saying. Laura Ingram. There are certain oh, talking she's points. Really bad at it. So, yes. And also the thing she will say— White. You're supposed to leave out the word white yeah, when you yeah. dog whistle, yeah, but she just says smart, it. Yeah. Um, but you, so Fox News, like the rest of the Republican Party, has been taken over by Trump. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes what that means is just that they lie about stuff and they say, we love the Russians, even though we hated them five minutes ago. And mm-hmm. we, you know, Kim Jong-il is a very strong leader and Kim Jong-un, sorry. And, you know, they'll do that stuff. But on core fundamental issues, like the Fox News of 10 years ago, was much more of a Bush era. We're not, they tried to gesture toward, Mm -hmm. we're not at war with Islam, we're at war with terrorism. We're not, you know, we're a nation of nations. They've dispensed with that now. Right. uh, At least in prime time. Well, it was interesting because the person you're leaving out, I think is the godfather of all this, is Roger Ailes, Mm -hmm. who worked for Nixon and Mm -hmm. others. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he got got by... He couldn't keep his hands, you know, he can't, couldn't keep in his pants, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. He got got by that. But a lot of these articulations, and especially the paranoia, was from him. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and talk about a visionary who saw how media could be effectively hijacked. Right, I right. mean, he was so good at that. Right, right. And, and that was in the TV era when mm-hmm. it was all about keeping eyeballs. It wasn't about this infectious spread the way it is through viral media. Mm-hmm. So if you want to talk about how these talking points find a more mainstream life, mm-hmm. you know— it's in Congress. It's like Steve King. Mm-hmm. These these podcasts, so I spent a lot of time with um, this podcast uh, that was called The Daily Showa, mm-hmm. which is a very funny pun because, so yeah. Um, they, so that's the level of discourse we're talking about. It's like The Daily Show, but the Holocaust. They um, are again out and out Jew-hating white nationalists. And so they themselves cannot just like go on Fox News. Yeah. But their talking points, they're very, very good at crafting narratives that— And then jump to Steve King and then jump to the—a slightly less offensive yeah, version of it. sort of a game of telephone. But right. but you have people like Steve King going, since when is it offensive to talk about white supremacy and, and Western civilization? Like, why can't we talk about that? And you're like, why do we have to keep—this <laughs> is, again, if you believe in the great American consensus, you would think— that's, That's a done. closed question. Mm-hmm. But these questions are all open once but again. Now, Steve King is so widely derided by the Republican Party. Now, now. But he's been saying this stuff forever. Absolutely. And he's not out of Congress. Right, right. Well, he's got to be voted out of Congress. Right, right. right. So, but, this is, but this is again. Right. <laughs> they could censure him, I guess, and kick him out, I suppose. No, but it's even scarier that he got reelected because mm-hmm. there's supposed to be this notion that when you really go to Iowa, you know that, you know that people don't really hate each other. And look, I'm not, I'm not here to say— Everyone is bad and racist at their core or everyone is good and angelic at their core. What I think is the arc bends the way it bends because of what people do. Right. And when you have broken your informational ecosystem Mm -hmm. to the point where half of people can go, why is an open white nationalist in Congress? And the other half of people can go, oh, that's just political correctness. Mm -hmm. Why can't we just speak freely anymore? The left is so Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Then he gets reelected. That's where the informational architecture being broken doesn't allow you to just see the truth and call it the truth. Right. So so you have the Steve Kings of the world, who most people really, he isn't, like, welcomed uh, anywhere. But you have the Roy Moores, you have some others that are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, I think it all leads ultimately up to Trump, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Talk about that, because I think he's the perfect result. Everyone always thinks he's aberrational. I'm like, mm, no, he's not aberrational. Yeah, he is the absolute, I mean, you couldn't write, if you wrote it in fiction, it would be too on the nose. Because he's got, he's got the ability to be a media manipulator. He's good at it. He's he also has. manipulated by the media. So it's right. this perfect feedback loop, just right. endless chain. Explain that, manipulated by the media. So he, you know, the New Yorker, because they um, want to make me feel as much pain as possible in my life. They they assigned me to watch Fox and Friends for a week and sort of just write a review of how Fox and Friends works. Mm-hmm. And so I watched, I had bought a cable box, watched Fox and Friends for a week, and then returned my cable box to me and said, mm-hmm. get this out of my house immediately. Mm-hmm. So the way Fox and Friends works is it's like a two-way mirror. They're just like only talking to Trump. He, I mean, this I'm not the first to notice this, but they wait for him to tweet to make sure he's listening. 
He tweets. They put it up on the big tweet screen. They have this like 40-foot tall Mm -hmm. screen that's only for Trump's tweets. And then they talk to him about his tweets. So I happened Mm -hmm. to be watching the week that Roy Moore lost in Alabama at the, the special election. And Doug Jones won. The day before that happened, the message of Fox and Friends was a vote for Roy Moore is a vote for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Then he lost. Donald Trump doesn't like losing. He likes winning. So Donald Trump rewrote the history of the past 24 hours to say, I never liked Roy Moore. I wanted Luther. Fox and Friends says Trump really won this election because blah, 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 blah. So – then it's just like then you're living in this bizarro world where, I mean, you know, it's like if you just looked at it plainly, like why is Trump so obsessed with claiming that a hurricane was going to go to Alabama when it yeah. wasn't? Or why would he say that he didn't tweet what he tweeted 12 hours ago? Yeah. This is like Hannah Arendt stuff. It's like right. the autocrat wants to make truth what he wants it to be. Right. So it's it's flexing his power do you think it works or does it not work? It works. It works because it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It people it makes people want to throw up their hands. You know, this is again. This I is. I don't want to pull it. I can't keep up with it. Yes, I can't keep up with it. It, it turns into this fog, and you know, uh, Hannah Arendt has this beautiful passage about how totalitarian leaders will say, "Okay." When I'm telling you the truth, I'm the only one who can tell you the truth. When I'm lying to you, it's because we're all in on the joke and we know that the truth is is what we want it to be. Mm-hmm. So it's just forging an emotional bond. I mean, one of the guys I wrote about in the book was a Nazi with a Jewish wife. Mm-hmm. And when his That li- is who? That is uh, Mike Enoch. Right, that's name. right. He's like kind of the the secret propaganda mastermind of the alt-right. He's a fascinating, disgusting character. He's kind of the um Rasputin behind Richard Spencer. Mm-hmm. He creates a lot of the talking points and the memes. And when I bring that up because, I mean, he's a big part of the book, but when people found out, hey, your job is to be anti-Semitic and your wife is Jewish, it seems like a big contradiction. Mm -hmm. But he's really good at forging this bond with his audience where he goes, you know, life isn't perfect and nothing is exactly what it appears to be, but you should just stick with me because I'll I'll explain to you how the world works. And they Mm -hmm. stuck with him. So it's like— The wife with that. The wife left, but that's a whole separate— But the wife also knew what was going on. I mean, right. it's a very bizarre. Yeah. So the point being, human psychology is really, really weird. Right. People don't. Well, it tends to accept things like more quickly. I think that's what it is. It's like you one, you get exhausted. Two, you're like, oh, is it that bad? Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, and my enemies do, hate it, it, so it maybe really I should like it. Is it really going to collect into something terrible? Is it really going to? Is it just? Is this just so much reality show bullshit? And is it going to affect me? Yeah, exactly. When did it ultimately get there? And I think the exhaustion combined with that creates a. You know, I, people do talk about this question of normalization, but you really are like, what was the thing last week, right. or what was the thing? And what what I tend to think happens a lot is the forces of more moderate. I would say, I wouldn't say left because I think it's more, most people, to me, most people are really in the center a lot of ways. Most people coalesce around the center. But it's more of giving people the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. And so, to me, the alt-right has used these tools beautifully in that they play people constantly and Mm -hmm. people are constantly played because they're they're taking advantage, not necessarily of fear as much as, oh, they don't mean to be bad. Or they, 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 that you you get played by— Because you listen to them directly. I mean, right. I can tell you, when you listen directly to Richard Spencer, mm-hmm. he's not a frothing maniac the entire mm-hmm. time. Right. It's not just literally him seagulling the entire time. Right. He talks about art. He talks about architecture. That's he talks what I mean. about Europe. We, we can't, like, they're a nice person. Yeah. Like, that, that happens constantly. And it's not what the media made it out to be. Yeah, you know, the there's, media... uh, there's often people like, oh, you know, it, some people write some things. I'm like, that's totally offensive. And they're like, they're a nice person. I don't care. Right. Like, they're a nice I'm person. I'm able to say, I don't care. Right. So I'm going with the writing part. But a lot of people do... It, would it, it depends on people being nice almost. People being nice, giving, and also being— Benefit that, of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt. That's not what the media told me it was. And part mm-hmm. of the social media thing is you always can go directly to the source. Right. So if you're, you know, seeing on the Today Show, bad person does bad thing. You go, let me look it up for myself. And then, you know, you watch the entire hour-long speech that that one clip came from, and you go, he said a lot of other stuff too. Like, why right. didn't the media talk about that? I mean, this totally applies to Trump. When I was— in following that troll into the White House briefing room, I had a lot of chances to see Trump speak up close. And he did this press conference that's still the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It was like the first week of his administration and it was already falling apart. Flynn was going to get fired. And 
his instinct is to go, put me in front of the cameras. I'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. So he has his first press conference as president. That crazy press conference. The, the, yeah. Back then it was the crazy one. Now mm-hmm. it's a crazy one. But I – and nobody knew it was going to happen. I just happened to be a, a, in the White House briefing room. And so, you know, I was 10 feet away from it when it was happening. And I was like, you know, I get it. He has no vocabulary. He has no memory. He has no relationship with the truth. He's weird looking, like all these things that you would think charisma Mm -hmm. would be about, he doesn't have. But he has this specific kind of charisma where I go, if I liked what he was selling, I totally get how I would be buying it. Mm -hmm. And then I went home, and this was even more apparent when I watched it on a screen, where it was really meant to be played, and I watched the whole thing on a laptop, and I go, it's like a singer with no voice, but who has a kind of soul. Mm -hmm. It's like listening to like... You want to look at them. Leonard Cohen or something, you're like... That guy can't sing, but he can really fucking sing. Like mm-hmm. you and and I mean, you know, if it's not clear, I don't like the words he was saying, but I get the words it. hardly matter. Right, the words hardly matter. I think I agree with you. So, what to do? I mean, is Twitter responsible? Is Trump to me? If you take him off of Twitter, that's it. Like it's it's a lot of that's it. Like he doesn't even on TV, it doesn't reach enough people. Yeah, I mean, he's maybe an exception because he still has the nuclear codes, you know. Mm-hmm. But like once he goes away, and you know, either. You There's know. not people are like, oh, now everyone's going to do it. I'm like, everyone can't do it like that. Yeah, him. Like, it is know? still a skill. It is like I, very few people can do it well. AOC can do it really well. She's, she's amazing. quite good on it. She's, amazing she's quite good it. on television. Um, she's going to be. Is president. it going to be yeah, probably? The, 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 where does it go? And what responsibility does? Let's just pick on Twitter or Facebook. Mm-hmm. But Twitter, I think, is really what you're talking mm-hmm. about because it's the it's the cauldron of it, um, the cesspool that where it start, where the stuff sort of emerges out of. Let's finish on what to do. Well, where, so, or where does it go, or is yeah, there anything to do? Or there is, is. It just we're moving into network. No, there is. Yeah, I mean, there's— Sybil the soothsayers, <laughs> which we already have. Yes. I mean, there is stuff to do, but it's—I think if we're talking at the at the level of who should we ban today, then I think we're talking about symptoms, not causes, right? So mm-hmm. if it's should they or shouldn't they ban Trump, I mean, look, I think if Twitter has a policy against threats and Trump is literally threatening nuclear war, of course there's a case for banning it. Or at least send someone to sternly sit him down in the Oval Office and go, hey— Stop doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't know who that would be, but okay. Yeah, I mean, I think Jack could do it. I, th- I mean, oh, they've, they've, yeah. they've been to, he could do it. Yeah. Or, you know, Vijaya, you know, and yeah. to say like, look, you're violating our rules. You obviously like our platform. Mm-hmm. Why don't you cut it out? Mm-hmm. But it's also, but I mean, in the whole larger scheme of things, Trump being a symptom, not a cause, by the time you're like, okay, do we or don't we ban Alex Jones? You're way too far down the line yeah. of causation. Right. The larger thing of, rethinking how we incentivize the whole thing. Is this all built around emotional engagement? Or are we going to reconsider, you know, what are we here for? Like, right. are we here for racking up points? So you, the, the, con- the concept is this stuff is making us drunk, Let's start, or making us sick. Yeah. Let's regulate it. Well, regulate it from the government is one thing, but also rethink its role in our society. So if you think, you know, people like the food analogy. It's not that it's only poison, and it's not that it's only perfectly healthy, balanced meal. It's like a grocery store where we only put Oreos and rat poison in the front. Mm -hmm. And if you like really search in the back of the grocery store, you could find a salad or whatever. So who does that? Well, I mean, a lot of the problem is creating a cultural context where it's hard to sleep at night. If you're running a grocery store where all of your front aisles are rat poison and Oreos, Mm -hmm. you should not be able to sleep at night. You should feel bad about what you're doing. They sleep at night. Well, that's uh, – I mean, that's that's the first problem. They sleep just fine. <laughs> Some of them don't below decks. Well, and then the larger the larger question is, well, look, the shareholders are happy. Our job is to that's maximize right. shareholder value. Facebook has never been higher. Right. Twitter's so, doing rather well. So that's a, that's a big problem. But I think it's a civilizational problem in the sense that climate change mm-hmm. is the problem of our time. We know what's causing it. We just have to fix it. Similarly – in this, we're even more far behind because we don't even really know. It's not like carbon is the problem. Mm. It's this whole set of things that are subjective and squishy and weird. 
And it's not that nothing is happening. It's just not happening so, fast enough. So I want to finish up. Where do you think it goes? Where do you think? What is next? It's anti. We've got. We figured out the antisocial. We figured out it's addictive. Mm-hmm. We figured out it's incredibly bad for society. Mm-hmm. What you know? It, we it kind of like cigarettes is bad. Mm-hmm. Like and look, what it did happen to the cigarette yes. industry. Right. It did happen to you know ultimately not fully, but for sure they've definitely you know lots of industries have been pulled back. Uh, chemical companies. All kinds of things. When does that happen, if at all? Well, so cigarettes, to use that example, government regulation was part of it. But there was also a social consensus. If I'm a director of a movie and I have people smoking all the time, I feel bad about myself. Right. So it all is a feedback loop, right? And you're seeing movement. I mean, you have Josh Hawley and Elizabeth Warren agreeing on certain elements of tech regulation. Yeah, you have, yeah. I mean, there— Josh is down his own little— of course, of course. And, you know, it's another way that some of these alt-right talking points creep into the mainstream. But to me, that's a sign of another Overton window shift where it's like before we couldn't even talk about regulating this industry. Now we're definitely talking about mm-hmm. it. So you get the gov- state's attorney general. Totally. Know. So California's at the head of this. Europe is obviously ahead of the curve. So you have all this privacy regulation. You have people questioning Section 230. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how you would rewrite Section 230. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, this Supreme Court of Facebook. That's going to be a big thing. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be on that Supreme Court? I, I don't they didn't think, invite me. I don't think they want me either. <laughs> but You would invite me if you were serious about it. Or you. Right. Wouldn't yeah. you? Right. I don't know. I don't know who they – this is the thing. It's like oh, – It's going to be a lot of, like, thumb suckers. I'm well, sorry. this is the thing. It's like how much – how much of it is just a PR move and how much of it is actually like— No, I think they mean it. It's mm-hmm. just they get, there's no way. And let, they put—like it's, put, it's like putting—they um, never put employees on boards. Mm. Mm-hmm. You right. know, if they really are serious, mm-hmm. put some people who really could fuck things up. Like or, that's, put, or put someone who has been a victim of mass yeah. threats and harassment to right. go, this is what it feels like. Right, which is interesting, and it shouldn't be from one person. It, it was interesting. Like, If you really want to change something, put someone who really can change things. I think then you're just, just an irritant. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. Know? And that's what's interesting. This Supreme Court thing, I'm going to write about it soon because I'm like sort of like, I, went, I, was, I was like, I volunteer. Okay, <laughs> sure. Totally. I do. But totally. it's, that, that means it ends in disaster because no one's, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm right. just going to be there yelling at them some more from a different place. Well, and this is where, look, if I were on the Supreme Court of Facebook, honestly, if I'm if I'm being really generous, I don't know what I would tell them to do. If I had a magic wand, I don't think I could say, do this, this, and this, and the problem is fixed. Right. I think there are low-hanging fruit things to do. I think you have to, this whole notion that the algorithms are about what's most relevant to you, mm-hmm. a squirrel dying in your front yard yeah, is more relevant. change the architecture. Just change that. The problem, of course, is shareholders wouldn't want that because it would slow growth. That's right. And their argument would be that China would take over. Or yeah, that's their argument. So, okay. So, she or me. Right. So then you have a capitalism problem. Right. So a capitalism problem. We'll have to – that's another episode, I guess. Well, that's but. Shoshana Jezubov and the surveillance capitalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So are you hopeful after writing this? What, what a bunch of – what a crew of mis- malcontents and awful people. Uh, what I am is I'm not optimistic or pessimistic. I believe that what we do will shape the future, so we got to do it. I think we can do it, but it's really hard. And if the arc of history doesn't bend automatically, and if we're the ones who bend it, then we got to actually start doing it. And it's not um, inevitable. It's not easy. But it's it's like climate change. It's like you both have to have your own personal hygiene. You have to recycle. You have mm-hmm. to, you know— not get taken in by, you know, memes that make you feel lizard brainy and all mm-hmm. that stuff in, the, in your personal life. But you also have to create a movement that says we want to live in an informational sphere that works where we can see what's true about the world, where we can know how to emotionally regulate ourselves while being informed citizens. That's really complex and hard, but I think it can certainly happen. Bigger changes than that have happened. True. You're very hopeful. I think these are insidious. <laughs> They're insidious. So you're just like, it'll never happen. I am not not optimistic. Yeah, I think they're addictive. I think the addictive quality of them, the virality of them, the uh, the um, how they just they just blow up in ways you can't control. Mm-hmm. You but could stop a network. You could stop. You could you could regulate a network. You could regulate so many of these information. You brought sources. up the cigarettes. I mean, yeah, we you know. I, I never thought cigarettes. I would be the hopeful one in a conversation. I <laughs> know. <laughs> anyway, Andrew, I appreciate it. This is really fascinating. Your recent story in The New Yorker is on, uh, you just had one. Yeah, Crisis of Conscience. Yeah, about, Talk about that. It was about the Esalen Institute and about um, the Center for Humane Technology. Yes, yeah. And how, you know, again, like I feel ambivalent about this. 
Silicon Valley is having a moment where they go, okay, people suddenly don't like us the way they used to. Yeah, but that's because they're e- they're egomaniacs and yeah, narcissists. But it's not either or. Like, we're all a little bit narcissistic. We all want to be loved. Yeah. And now that people are yelling at them, you know, thank you for that. They want to be loved. And, you know, I think that's a good lever to push on. I, I think. Yes. But the, you know what their reaction is to go out to Estlin and pray. Sure. Like, give me, like, whatever and drink, you know, have like a... A salt bath. Yes. I'm just like, no. Sure. I mean— Just make things not so bad. Mm -hmm. Like, stop making— I will say the hot tubs are really lovely. Are they? Yeah. (laughs) Esalen. Esalen used to be just like shaggy people with, like, naked people used to just wander around and howl Well, they knew I was a narc because I was supposed to be undercover as a journalist, but then I wore a bathing suit into the bath, and they were like, this guy doesn't belong. No, exactly. (laughs) It just used to be a just sit around and howl at the moon, but now it's like— Look, I don't, know. I don't think they should be let off the hook. I don't think they should be made to feel better when they haven't done anything. But I do think that the, their desire to be made to feel better is a lever that people can push on. Sure. It's, you got to use what you've got. Yeah, true. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to close down Twitter when I'm president. Perfect. Anyway, Actually, I'm really good at it. I'm a professional Twitterer. Anyway, Andrew, thank— I like Twitter in some ways. You know I do. I love it. I use it all the time. But I definitely think they, there's, there are many people that— But you could thought. quit whenever you want. No, I like. It. Yeah, I will. You know what I mean? It'll be like the Truman Show. Yeah, like, we'll turn when you it hit off. The wall. No, the show is over. Ah, uh, yeah. The show is. You know, remember at the end, the best part of that movie, Truman Show, which everybody should watch again, is he goes, he says good night and goodbye, and then he goes off to live a life. It's and amazing. The sh- and everybody t- clicks turns, off. Clicks the security off, guards. And, and then the... someone goes, "What's on next?" Yeah, it's so good. You know, it's the, first, great, the first. That is the best part of that movie. The first New Yorker feature I ever wrote was about Truman Show delusion, about people mm-hmm. who believe they're in the Truman Show mm-hmm. and how delusions change because of the ecosystem yeah. we're in. And now we're in this personal celebrity ecosystem. So why wouldn't that be the thing you believe? Right. Well, good night. Good luck and have a nice day. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Andrew, for coming on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Andrew, where can people find you online? Andrew Morantz on Twitter, my favorite platform. All right. If you like, uh, the media is there just sloshing around <laughs> arguing with each other. If you like this episode, we really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Friday. Tune in then. <laughs>